The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Friends near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your choices of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. On this Pentecost Sunday, a joyful day of gathering and hearing, we welcome our regular guest choir in Coral Novo under the direction of Dr. Therese Provenzano with sincere gratitude for their spiritual leadership and musical gifts. Ordered worship is held every Sunday of the year in Marsh Chapel, including through these summer months when many from our university community are away. Your presence and listenership are particularly meaningful to us throughout the summer. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it, grateful as we are for the gifts of gathering and hearing. As we are able, let us stand in the praise of God.
May we pray together. O God, who on this day taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in thy holy comfort. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, in the confidence of divine love, we pause in prayer to consider ourselves under the aspect of divine love. The good that we would, we do not, and the harm that we would not, we often do. We recognize the consequences of greed and arrogance, spilling out, leaking out, teeming out all around us, both in nature and history. We face the unintended consequences of measures of greed combined with measures of arrogance. And we feel sorrow. We truly feel sorry, no contrition, express compunction, cry out in lament, admit regret, and so bow in confession. We have been called to be stewards, but our stewardship has been far from perfect. So come Sunday, we pause and pray, seeking renewal. As the Kyrie is sung, may we silently offer our prayer of confession. Resolve, renewal of courage, renewal of a right-minded care, we offer our thanks. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. A lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one herding, heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, 
Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us say together verses from Psalm 104 with the antiphon. Manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And now, beloved, rise up in body as you are able for the reading of the gospel, sorry, for the singing of the Gloria Deo, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymn. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 14, verses 8 through 17 and 25 through 27. Glory to you, O Lord. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and, in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. The twin powers of gathering and hearing are at the heart of Pentecost in a combination of community and audibility, spirit arrives. Our understanding of the Acts of the Apostles has deepened and sharpened over the last 200 years. How we interpret the Church's first history is a matter of some debate. Is the book written by Luke a sourced reliable historical document rendered for the benefit of the church as an actual account of its earliest life, a kind of stylized ecclesiastical baby book. This would be the traditional, often the British view. Or is the book written by Luke a selective memory presented to make a point and to offer a perspective, a kind of ecclesiastical court brief? This would be the critical, often German, view. 
Long after World War II has ended, this particular biblical studies conflict between London and Berlin, really Cambridge and Tübingen, continues. How much of Luke's history is Luke and how much is history? How much of Acts 2, wind, tongues of fire, drama, miracle, is what Luke thought and how much is what Luke thought happened? Both bear truth and meaning. Both are holy and good. Both have precedent in religion and scripture. How much of this is history and how much of this is theology? Granted that history and theology are both good things. It may be that there is some merit to both views, but that the needle points toward theology. That is, our Holy Scripture in Acts 2, we might decide, was not written chiefly to record or fend off a charge of drunkenness against Peter from early one morning, nor to catalog the nationalities of that day's immigrants, legal or illegal, who appeared at the birthday party of the church. The passage is written to communicate lastingly good news about spirit, good news about how the power of gathering inspires the power of hearing. A real delight for this day is here, for our epistle lesson from Romans 8 squarely interprets spirit as that which gathers, which includes, which gives lineage, which names heirs, the religious dimension of belonging. And our gospel lesson from John 14 squarely interprets spirit as truth heard, as speaking which was understood, as the gift of a self-correcting spirit of truth loose in the universe. Acts announces the power of gathering which inspires the power of hearing, and Romans reminds us about gathering, and John reminds us about hearing. Nice. Today's lessons, though, do not exclusively assign spirit a religious wardrobe or zip code. Although these readings are later to become building blocks for religious building blocks, they are not in their birth swaddled only in the birth clause of religion. John least so as he speaks fiercely of truth. Paul hardly so as he writes of children lisping at the urging of an inner voice. Luke enacts barely so as he gathers Medes and Persians and heralds the hearing of Parthians and Elamites. Spirit on Pentecost has yet to don its religious robes. Spirit is loose in the universe. Our readings hold up for us the possibility that we may meet spirit on the street where we live. Our readings hold up for us the possibility that we may hear spirit in our own tongues, in our own hearts, in our own time. We may have a foretaste each week, and we may have had a foretaste last week. For example, to take one example, to take one common example of gathering and hearing, take last week's Boston University commencement. Last week's commencement, the Boston University Terrier, the dog of this sermon's title, A Dog's Life, is fully alive. There is a common Pentecost, a part of our everyday experience that arises wherever the power of gathering inspires the power of hearing. Beloved, your life, your lives are nourished by the Pentecosts of experience. That nourishment may come through the regular gathering and hearing in worship that focuses on a sermon, or it may come through a regular family gathering that focuses on a meal and stories of encouragement, or it may come through a regular reunion, relational or professional, that focuses on fun and reflection. Gatherings which inspire hearing are crucial to your personal spiritual life. And the same is true for a university like ours. We gathered Friday afternoon at the Tennis and Track Center for the dental school commencement. Some of us help others choose, and some of us help others chew, and both are vitally important. 
At the dental school commencement, the fine speaker, Dr. Shadi Dahar, warmly introduced by Dean Hutter, had a profoundly insightful bit of wisdom and, and encouragement to offer, said he. Try to find something new in every case and learn from it. Find the new learning in even the most repeated and routine procedures. Learn something new every day, for the biggest challenges are not outside us, they are within us, in our attention, our attitude, our emotions, our thoughts, and our feelings. And that day, the radiant life and the rich range of diverse human presence in that gathering, the dental school commencement, in age, gender, race, nationality, ethnicity, was a true joy to behold. Then on Saturday afternoon, the ROTC commissioning ceremony was held in historic Faneuil Hall. It is very moving to see the parents of these young soldiers pin signs of rank upon their children's shoulders. This year, a young couple going off to ministry in the military chaplaincy joined us, which made the ceremony even more meaningful. Senator Scott Brown spoke an encouraging word to the commissionees and connected his own experience in years past with their coming years of service. Dr. Douglas Sears speaks each year for the university. He is the administrative head of this program at Boston University. He reminds us that academic freedom is a subset of political freedom and that the broader political freedoms we enjoy are not themselves free. They come with costs in service, sacrifice, and devotion. Freedom is not free. He also reminds us that with our religious history rooted in the Methodist tradition, he can say to the young people, not only good luck, but also Godspeed. That afternoon, we went from Scott Brown in Faneuil Hall to James Carroll in Marsh Chapel. It was quite a translation. We looked at life from both sides now. For last Saturday night, this Marsh Chapel was full with 250 members of the BU class of 1970. That class did not have a formal graduation, having been sent home in the danger and chaos that followed Kent State. So they were invited back this year to walk to receive their diplomas at commencement in robes on the field. In preparation for their arrival, I talked by phone with some members of the class. One told me that he had received his diploma by mail on a summer afternoon in 1970 in Maine. He was alone in the house except for two dogs. He opened the diploma and showed it to his dear pets. Then he put it in a drawer. I had a canine commencement, he said. He was with us here. Saturday. The power of the gathering here in this nave was palpable. It was thick like a fog on the ocean at dawn. A, a soloist sang Bridge Over Troubled Water. A pianist played the soundtrack of 1970. There was a litany and a time of silence and remembrance. Then the Catholic chaplain of the time, James Carroll, now a columnist for our city's paper, piercingly addressed the gathering. He briefly called up the memory of that spring 40 years ago, focusing on a perilous confrontation between students and those trying to keep the peace. But then he turned with emotion and asked the congregation, for by now this had become an addressable community, a congregation, saying, so what are we doing here? Are we here to find healing? Are we here to hunt for some completion? Are we here to seek some inner peace? In preaching terms, he moved deftly from the prophetic to the pastoral. The soloist began then, began then to sing, let it be, but the solo quickly became a hymn as all joined in. And yes, as foreshadowed a moment ago, the pianist, Jan Hill, played us out with both sides now. Gathering and hearing. You can read about it in the New York Times. Gathering and hearing. You can read about it in Acts 2. There is something about the intersection of gathering and hearing, the twin powers of Pentecost, 
which ushers in a new wind. And Boston University's metaphorical mascot, the terrier, the dog of this sermon's title, A Dog's Life, showed spirit and life last weekend. I do not find references to the Book of Discipline, the Book of Order, the Book of Common Prayer, or even to the hymnal in the scripture lessons for Pentecost, but I do read about a spirit of truth. I do read about a spirit of sonship. I do read about a mighty wind. The church may need to think more broadly about the nature of the church than we inside the church have been accustomed to do. Here in church last Sunday, our baccalaureate speaker, Dr. Wafa El Sadr, spoke about her work with AIDS patients. She urged us not to oppose, she urged us not to give in to a culture of no, but to oppose a culture of no. And then she told of a patient who said of her own illness, AIDS is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Once I got it, I left the street, I left the hustle, I left the drugs, and I cleaned up my life. How long has it been since you were immersed in the gathering and hearing of a graduation? The atmosphere teems with aspiration, hope, promise, foretaste. When 25,000 people stand to applaud a civil rights legal champion like William Coleman, awarded an honorary degree last Sunday, you feel a bit of the earth shake. And all the law days hear it. All the graduates, summa cum laude, magna cum laude, cum laude, and those of us who just say thank you laude, all the laudes together. It is not only in Methodism that gathering and speaking have announced spirit, we would say conference and preaching, of course. Life itself does so. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's in the Bible. Then came the gathering of the 25,000 under the sun at Nickerson Field, and with it speaking, and with it hearing. Graciously introduced by President Brown, commencement speaker, Attorney General Eric Holder addressed the gathering, saying, I am reminded of Dr. King not only because he blazed the trail that allows me to stand on this stage as our nation's first African-American Attorney General, and not only because his dream of a more just, an inclusive world remains one of our most important guides, guideposts. Today I am reminded of Dr. King because he too took leave of this campus at a difficult and defining moment in America's history, saying, I know that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. The best moment of commencement came with the student address that day, preached by a young African-American man from Mississippi, Jonathan Priester, on behalf of his class of 2010. You will not be surprised once you hear his words as to the reason for my personal hallelujah in response, said he. As this day has approached, the end of my stay at Boston University as a student, I found myself walking around campus trying to remember as much as I could about this place, a place that has been my home for the last four years. While attempting to retrace my numerous adventures on this campus, I noticed the inscription on the wall at Marsh Chapel. It reads, we hope that the procession of immortal youth passing through the halls of Boston University for the next thousand years will be vouchsaved a vision of greatness, and that, that vision of greatness will become habitual and result in moral progress. I like that line, he said. At its center is my favorite word, progress. Our challenge is to do just what is said on the wall of Marsh Chapel.